The 80s marked the time when New Zealand music suddenly became a thing, chart-topping singles and albums and crowded venues as people flocked to see Hello Sailor and Diddy Smash, Toy Love and the Screaming Mimis. And it was the rock and driving it was Rock Mag Rip It Up, headed by photographer turned editor Murray Kamick. Murray continues to show exhibitions of his work in Auckland, Sydney, and now a new show in Wellington. Simon Morris catches up with an old rocker. Photographer Murray Kamick's new exhibition, The Show Must Go On, comes bristling with levels. It's the old showbiz dictum, of course, no matter what, go on and give them a show. And these days, that's harder. Live venues have been hard hit by COVID, but many of the art galleries are hanging on. So what better time to revive inner-city life with photos of rock and roll's glory days? And the other layer is that Murray's time as editor of our greatest rock magazine, Rip It Up, coincided with my time directing Sunday rock shows, Radio With Pictures. So from street life to mask life, Murray Kamek joins us via Skype. Hi, Murray. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. Enjoying the lovely uh, Wellington weather. Your famous stint as a magazine editor turns out to have been almost a sideline. I had no idea how much of your career you've actually been a pro photographer. Well, I've always sort of defined myself as a photographer, the camera hanging around the neck all the time. I I was definitely focused heavily on the Rip It Up editorial work at some point. And initially I was the magazine's photographer. Then maybe in the 80s, I just found it easier to give younger people the chance to take the photos and that was one less stress in my day. But your photography career really has been blossoming really over the last, frankly, 20 years. I mean, you had a famous exhibition a couple of years ago called Flash Cars. Yeah, that was a photo essay I started in Elam, you know, when I was at art school and it carried on for about another 10 years because when I was in town to shoot something at a, a music venue, whether it be Swines or the Town Hall, I'd go out on the street and the V8s would still be there, so I'd still take photos. So a lot of what I have taken in terms of photography has been inner city Auckland, and I feel very uh, strongly sort of in love with the inner cities, really. There's places I've lived and enjoyed the you know nightlife and art galleries and stuff. So I'm I'm very saddened by the fact that inner cities have really taken quite a blow from the COVID problems, you know. Well we'll touch on that in a minute, Murray, but I do want to talk about your famous twenty seventeen Punk and New Wave exhibition, which is partly uh, what's inspired this new one. Now that that exhibition was shown in Auckland and Sydney, I believe. Yeah, it started off in Sydney. I just had a friend who knew a gallery owner and uh, the opportunity was there. So I was able to exhibit at Darren Knight Gallery and it was quite an honour and a good way to get the show started. But this is that and more, but it's for a purpose. I mean, you've hinted at it already, the fact that inner city culture has really taken a hammering from COVID recently, hasn't it? I think it's unfortunate and that, you know, we're allowed to exercise and go out into spaces where, you know, there's not a lot of people there and inner cities are the one of the places now where we can go for a wander safely. You've got the wonderful waterfront in Wellington and you can go for a walk between the galleries, you know, go up to Cuba Street or Portrait Gallery on the wharves. I'm not a very serious person necessarily in respect to exercise. I might 
walk to a pie shop, you know, or <laughs> somewhere for coffee, you know. So, you yeah, know, I like to have a destination. I just don't want to go around in a circle. I want to maybe say, well, I'm going to three these three art galleries, you know, and then go to the nearest beach. Let's go back to where these photographs started. I mean, I think of Rip It Up as essentially being the 80s, largely because that's when I had so much to do with it. It was sort of the, the birth of punk that seemed to kickstart the rise of interest in local music. Yes, it was a strange time in the, the sense that we sort of knew that some of the musicians on the stage didn't quite know what they were doing and they were staring at their frets all the time, you know, to try and get the right note and stuff. But it brought a, a real energy into the music scene and, and ultimately uh, with it, groups like The Clash um, or The Sex Pistols were that good as musicians they uh, had something to say and we had the local equivalent you know of AK-79 and I've got a lot of those bands photographed. But in fact you make the point that the interest in local music had actually started a wee bit earlier than that. Yeah I think as an editor of Rip It Up I was supporting people like Sharon O'Neill and Blood Ends and The Dudes and, and Dave Dobbin of course who came out and we were trying to make the more successful acts more successful again you know we mm. we didn't wanted them to have covers when their albums came out and help promote the albums and i was more sort of a pub rock guy in that punk era and i really enjoyed hello sailor and went to every gig possible i know you were a huge fan of graham brazier as a photograph subject yeah well i was just sort of backstage and um at main street and um there's an, a word for it, but you're not meant to, you know, pee in a sink. But there's no backstage toilet. And to this day, they will build a, a multi-million dollar venue and there will be no backstage toilet for musicians. You know, they'll have to go to the public toilet. Actors and theatres have to go to the public toilet sometimes. But in a sense, uh, I shouldn't photograph that. And I can photograph that discreetly, of course, but I got a big yes or okay from Graham that this was a cool idea. <laughs> you describe your photography style as more sort of documentary rather than the mythic rock and roll approach. Why was that and how strictly did you stick to that as an idea? Well, I'm more a documentary photographer rather than a portrait photographer, even though I, obviously I'm photographing people. I'm sort of photographing people as they are, whereas a portrait photographer is probably bringing something special out of them, you know. So it's a slightly different situation. And at the time of Spadens coming along, they were very zany. And some of the photos I tried to take were a bit zany or not sort of rock star in a sense. But, you know, you just take photographs and show the artists as you see them. And I know... I know I used to look at my Debbie Harry photos and think, well, she's not as glamorous as everybody else's photos, but she was on a press tour and she'd probably arrived on a plane in the morning and done press. And I think she may have got on a plane later that afternoon and done a TV show in Melbourne that mm. night. So she was a bit tired looking. She didn't want to be there. The band were rehearsing for a tour and the record company and management decided she wasn't necessary. She could go and do promo. 
Well, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, I mean, on the one hand, audiences have a kind of a feeling about they want rock and roll to be mythic. They want the people in it to be bigger than life. But on the other hand, they do love the idea of getting behind the scenes. Yeah, and I think I recall Eyes on Crackerman, our writer for music, just came back with a photo of Frank Zappa drinking a cup of tea. And I just thought, oh, how amazing, how unrock star. <laughs> and I promptly took a photo of Mike Chun within the following year drinking a cup of tea. And I thought that was amazing. And in fact, we used some PR photos of she had years later of them drinking tea, though I wasn't the photographer. But when I got Iggy Pop, when he did press interviews, Initially, when I arrived, he was in his pajamas, and I snuck a you know waist shot so he didn't realise I was taking a photo. But the camera was a bit loud, so he heard, and he just looked at me and said, "No photos in my pajamas." So when he did get dressed, he just put on these clunky glasses, like you'd expect his mother to own. Maybe he borrowed them from his mother, but that was so on rock and roll. I took photos with those glasses and. I don't have his abs in my exhibition, but I do have his horrendous reading glasses. <laughs> it's amazing. Clearly, in this exhibition, you're adding stuff that's outside the range of the usual punk and new wave stuff. You mentioned Frank Zappa. I don't have Frank Zappa myself. That mm. was a, someone else took it, and I just appreciated the angle. But I have added Roxy Music, uh, a couple of photos, and I've added Bob Dylan, a photo that appeared in Rolling Stone, and Kate Bush. There are just so many people. I've been enjoying Tom Petty lately, and I have Tom Petty photos, but in the end, I couldn't really find one that I wanted to use. I've never seen a bad photo of Tom Petty. I mean, it's just, he's got a certain oh, look. Oh, you've got some. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I photographed him when he'd obviously spent the last few days drinking, and I asked him if I could take a photo, and he looked at me like, are you serious? And I took about one photo and said, yeah, that's fine. Knowing there's no way he could get his facial structure <laughs> in working order. <laughs> Couldn't get his rock star up. Yeah, I was, maybe I should print that photo of a man who's been uh, partying too hard and is just way too tired. I think they did something like three shows at Logan Campbell Centre that, that tour. I note that you took some photos of the supremely dodgy Kim Fowley. Oh, yes. Well, Kim immediately worked out how to over-impress me. I just was sort of so starstruck by his ability to mention the things I liked, and he was quite a, an outrageously high intellect. And I asked to take a photo, and suddenly he has this importance that makes him look like Lincoln or certainly a president of the United States holding a phone and he would do things like ring Bruce Springsteen when I'd turned up. He'd play street music over the phone to Bruce Springsteen and things like that. So I was, you know, I was sort of, I don't know, putty in his hand, is that the word? I was watching a Joan Jett uh, documentary and they mentioned all the people in her life and when they came to Kim Fowley and had his name on screen, they used my photo and uh, they didn't ask permission, but I don't mind. I just love the fact Joan Jeff said, this is the photo of Kim.
One story I loved was um, when you ran into uh, Dolly Parton. And at that stage, you had no interest in Dolly Parton at all. You were only interested in outlaw country. And suddenly, in comes the opposite of that. Sometimes you take photos because somebody else wants you to take them. And in that case, the New Zealand listener wanted photos. And they specifically wanted the concert photos. So that's why I went to the concert. But when we did the interviews... Everybody who went along just was charmed by her. And there's not going to be many in her press conference room in those days. There was maybe eight of us or maybe ten, you know. And she would make eye contact with every cameraman, everybody, to let them know, acknowledge them, but tell them who's in charge. And she was just this amazing intellect and a very down-home sort of way, and she would say things like to our writer, Louise Chan, how beautiful you are, you remind me of my sister and stuff, and she was just beautiful. And and then when I went to the show, I was there because Chris Burke at The Listener had asked me for photos, so I was there to earn some money. (laughs) And of course, um, things like the coat of many colours, is that's what it's called? I mean, it's just outrageous. As a songwriter and a a human being. She's just phenomenal, you know. Looking at this collection, Murray, I mean, I know I'm asking you to pick your favourite child, but do you have one photograph there that you just think that's the one that I'd like to be remembered for? When you've just discovered a photo, you have a a warmth to it, you know, and and things like Susie from Susie and the Banshees, I, I really remember that quite fondly because we see a lot of photos of her, her on stage in the heat of lights where her makeup's running and stuff. And then when you meet her in the afternoon at a press conference, she's just so beautiful in person and a very strong person, but a very strong beauty. And she was just another charmer, really, that afternoon, you know. And apparently Robert Smith was there drinking a cup of tea. (laughs) Drinking a cup of tea. I don't have a good photo of it, really, but it it is so funny, these English musicians. Oh, Frank Zappa's not English, but the request for the cup of tea is very common. Last question, really, for you is, have you kept your illusions about rock and roll? I mean, does it have a heart or is it just a show? Oh, I'm a great believer in rock and roll and all music really and all performance but I'm, I'm a fan of the mosh pit and people getting involved in music and finding their little safe place in the world with other music fans sometimes you get people who feel they don't have a place in society or they're alienated and then they can find their alienated friends in rock and roll When I was working with She Had and Head Like a Hole, the first time I saw an out-of-control mosh pit at the building in Wellington with Head Like a Hole, I thought, we're going to have a dead body at the end, you know. I was just really worried with these young people. But then the moment they finished, the youngest of them hurried home to, you know, meet a parental curfew, and (laughs) everybody was alive. Murray Kamek talking with Simon Morris. We'll put the full interview and a gallery of photographs on our webpage. The show Must Go On opens at the Photospace Gallery in Courtney Place, Te Whanganui Wellington, on April the 